Welcome, everybody. What a beautiful day. The sun is about ready to come out, and so good to see you here. Some of you we haven't seen in a while, so that's especially nice. I'm about ready to trip over that cord, so. All right, this morning, uh, obviously, our topic is the resurrection. I want to look at a passage that is a uh, a favorite benediction of mine, and uh, I know Jack, this is a favorite of yours as well. So we want to look at that, particularly from the standpoint of the resurrection, but uh, I want to do so at the same time recognizing that, as Scott McKnight says, the gospel, the good news, is the story of Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament story. So what we're trying to learn here at Grace Bible is that we read the New Testament in light of the story that's gone before. And I think that's uh, valuable to do even in this uh, uh, beautiful text from Hebrews 13. And the background, I think, that may even have been uh, something that is the writer was consciously reflecting on when he wrote this beautiful passage is uh, the prophet Ezekiel, six six centuries before the coming of Jesus. So uh, let me read a couple verses from Ezekiel, and and I highlight a couple key words here that are significant when we look at the, uh, the benediction. So the Lord says through Ezekiel, remember this is a time when Israel isn't even in the promised land anymore, when the temple has been destroyed, when worship has ceased, at least temple worship with sacrifice, that's all all gone. And they're in a strange land in Babylon and wondering whether there's any future and any hope for the nation. So here's what the Lord says through Ezekiel. They will no longer defile themselves with their idols and vile images or with any of their offenses, for I will save them from all their sinful backsliding and I will cleanse them. They will be my people and I will be their God. My servant David will be king over them. Of course, David's been dead for 400 years. So this is a way of talking about the Messiah, the descendant of David who is coming, right? My servant David will be king over them, and they will all have one shepherd. They will follow my laws and be careful to keep my decrees. David, my servant, will be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. And it will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish them and increase their numbers. I will put my sanctuary among them forever. Well, how's that ever going to work out, right? You're in captivity. The temple is destroyed. How can there be a future? But what this doesn't foresee is, is what Jesus is going to do. What he's done on Friday, and then what takes place on the first day of the week, on Easter morning. 
But the writer of Hebrews knows that those things have happened. So here's what he says as he closes out his letter. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the everlasting covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And uh, you see that connection there. Let me see if I can get this to go the way I want. There we go. You see what Ezekiel talks about? The Messiah who will come, who will be the one shepherd, who will make a covenant of peace that will be an everlasting covenant. That's what Hebrews 13 is talking about. The God of peace, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, bringing back from the dead that great shepherd of the sheep. So what I want to do this morning is I want to just work through these uh, two verses with you and uh, think about what is being said here. It's a prayer to the God of peace. Peace in the New Testament obviously builds off that Old Testament story, right? And off that extraordinary word that we have in the Hebrew language, shalom, which Jewish people still use today as a greeting. Shalom is peace, but it's, it's a very full word. It's, <clears throat> it's the idea of wholeness, which is completeness, it's prosperity, it's health, it's safety, it's harmony with God and with others. Or as, <clears throat> as I like to sum it up, it is It is comprehensive well-being. If you could think about, or indeed if if you would even know, because often we don't know really what is the best for us, huh? but if you somehow knew precisely what was best for you, that would be shalom. And this prayer is made to the God who is characterized by shalom. He gives shalom. He gives comprehensive well-being. But he gives that because that's who he is. That's part of his own character. I'm pulling up here a few images that we've looked at at different times before. And, of course, this is one of my favorites. You know, it's this, this icon painted by Reblev that uh, is based on the three divine figures that come and meet with with Abraham in Genesis chapter 18. And Reblev sees that as as a picture of the Trinity, of the three-in-one God. And we've noted that that is is a picture of what I would say is, is the eternal fellowship of love, which is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But another way you can say it is that's the picture of the 
eternal fellowship of peace, of comprehensive well-being. That's where it's rooted. Any well-being that comes to you and me comes out of that reality. A reality that has always existed and will always exist. That's where peace comes from. And, And we've talked about this picture many times. The interesting perspective that the figures are facing one another and yet they're facing us as well. <clears throat> and so there is, there's an invitation in this icon, an invitation for you and me to be drawn into this circle. And of course, that, that is what the biblical story is about. It's a story about people like you and me created for well-being created to be part of that circle. That's the intention of God from the beginning who creates men and women in His image and likeness. They're designed to be part of that. So they're designed to to love and be loved and they are designed to experience comprehensive well-being. That's the character of God. That's what God naturally, if we can say it that way, desires to share with you, with me. The, The problem is that as you know the story, right? Right from the very beginning, human beings were not sure that they wanted that. Or to say it a little bit differently, they wanted it, but they wanted it on their own terms. They believed a lie. The lie said, you can achieve comprehensive well-being. You can get all the benefits of shalom without God. Indeed, you can be God for yourself. That was the promise. It was a lie, but they believed the lie. And so the result is that we now live as people who desperately desire shalom. I mean, it's it's built into your nature. You You can't desire anything else. The problem is you can't get it. It's beyond you. Because you, like our first parents, have chosen, instead of shalom, you've chosen chaos. And ultimately, you've chosen death. Because to turn away from this eternal fellowship of love is to choose death. Whether you do that consciously or not. But that's what our first parents were warned against. But they did it anyway. Yet the character of God is the God of peace still desires that that should be a reality, that the circle would be expanded, that you and I would be part of that. Still desires it. And in His mighty wisdom and and His great power, 
He has acted. That's what we celebrate today. He has acted to open the way that we can have access once again. <clears throat> so the, the writer says, Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the everlasting covenant. And that brings us to the way that you and I are restored to access in that eternal circle of love and peace. Access comes through covenant. Covenant is an arrangement between individuals or, or groups of individuals. It's an arrangement that brings them into proper relationship. And in the Bible, those covenants are between God and, and people, and part of the arrangement involves blood sacrifice. In the Old Testament, the, uh, there's a number of covenants, but the, the primary covenant that dominates the Old Testament is the covenant that God made with the people of Israel when he brought them out of Egypt. And he led them to Mount Sinai. And Moses went up on the mountain and he received the covenant stipulations from God. The Ten Commandments, we call them. There were more than ten, but you know the ten basic ones. But that covenant was established where God said... I'll be your God, you be my people. I will bring you into the circle of my love, but the basis of it will be sacrifice. Many sacrifices listed in, in the law, but perhaps the, the greatest sacrifice of the covenant was the one offered every year on the day that we call Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. You hear it in the word? Atonement, at one minute. The bringing together of God and a people, the reestablishment of that connection, and it was based on that blood sacrifice when the goat was killed and the blood was taken into the most holy place in the tabernacle. And there it was sprinkled before God. It was done every year. And that's because... That Mosaic covenant was, was temporary. It was, it was a, a picture. Because as the writer of Hebrews says earlier in this same letter, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. So it was a picture. And it had to be renewed every year so that people could remember that there was a great cost to reestablishing the connection. And it all pointed ahead because it was temporary. It pointed to a time when a final sacrifice would be made that would complete this process and bring it to its fullness. Then, then it would be an everlasting covenant, right? Through the blood of the everlasting covenant. And that's, that's what Ezekiel had foretold would happen. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant. I will be their God and they will be my people. That's what the covenant does. 
But what this meant in the old, for the Old Testament writers was, was always obscure, right? So even the disciples of Jesus, when he tried to explain to them what was going to happen, they didn't get it. It's, it's Sunday morning. See, it's this day that things begin to clarify. When Jesus appears, <clears throat> the tomb is empty, and he appears in the midst of his disciples in Luke chapter 22 or 24, and what, what does he do with them? He begins, Luke says, with Moses, <laughs> Mosaic covenant, right? With Moses <clears throat> and with all the prophets, and he shows them the things that pertain to him. And in light of resurrection. See, it's not just his death. It's not just the blood of the everlasting covenant. It's, it's that, that alone they couldn't understand. That's why they were in disarray. But in the light of resurrection, they begin to understand that the God of peace has now established an everlasting covenant because the perfect sacrifice that all the other sacrifices pointed to, that has now been made. And it's not only been made, but, but the price for bringing the rebels back has been completely paid. No repetition. Because this is not the temporary solution. This is the, the final solution to the breach between God and humanity. And because that has been paid and all the claims have been settled, God brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus. The women came to the tomb early in the morning of the first day after the Sabbath. And what did they find? They found that the stone was rolled away they found that the linen claws to cover the body were there, but the body was missing. And two angels appeared and asked them the question, why do you seek the living one among the dead? He's not here. He's risen even as he said he would be. He's risen because the debt has been paid. And so death has no claim on this innocent one. Our first parents chose death. Death had a claim on them by their own choice. But it had no claim on this one perfect man. Death has a claim on you and me. We will pay that claim sooner or later. Thanks be to God, though, we will also share in the resurrection of Jesus. But death has a claim. Here's what Paul says, the sting of death is sin. 
and the power of sin is the law. Death here is pictured as what? A a viper? Or a scorpion? It has a venomous stinger. And the stinger which injects the venom is is sin. The sting of death is sin. Sin's the stinger. And the power of the venom, which is ultimately totally destructive, the power of the venom is the law. The law, which says, right, the soul that sins will die. That's the power of sin. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, who broke the power of death, who was victorious, who rose again. That's what we celebrate. And so the God of peace, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, brought back Jesus from the dead, that he might be the great shepherd of the sheep. The one who cares for them, who provides for the the sheeple. Use and me. The great shepherd of the sheep. And that's what Ezekiel was talking about, wasn't he? My servant David, the Messiah, will be king over them and they will all have one shepherd. And for Ezekiel, that meant one shepherd over the northern Israelites and the Southern Judeans, you know, that old split, that would be healed. But, but in the fulfillment, it gets even bigger than that. Even more surprising and unexpected that not only is all Israel united by the work of the shepherd, but he's the shepherd of the world. He gathers all the wandering sheep and brings them back. He has that power because he has died and been raised again eternally. So in light of that, this prayer then is, look, may this God of peace equip you with everything good for doing his will. Gone is the distance, right? Gone is the idea that that you can now seek your own best. That you can navigate your life apart from that eternal fellowship of love. I mean, that's what you're created for. So, in light of 
the way being opened for you to move back into that eternal fellowship. May God equip you then with everything good for doing his will, which is what you want to do. And he will provide through the great shepherd of the sheep with the result that he will work in you what is well-pleasing to him. To live in peace, to enjoy that comprehensive well-being. What does that look like? Well, it looks like sharing in the life of God. Sharing in the life of, of the one who enjoys perfect peace and well-being, where there's harmony and, and delight. Where the Son says, I delight to do your will, O God. Where the father says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And now we enter that. And he says, son, daughter, I'm well pleased with you. And, and we... Respond to him. Work in us what is well-pleasing to you. Through Jesus Christ, our King, our Shepherd, the victor over death and hell and destruction, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Forever. Glory to God. Glory to the Son who came and gave himself for us. Who reversed the brokenness and the death and all the rest that we might enjoy forever. Comprehensive well-being. Health and wholeness. And joy and delight and love in the eternal fellowship of love that is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'd like to close with a, uh, a written prayer that, that I found very beautiful over the last <clears throat> number of years and uh, I think speaks to where we are on resurrection morning. So I'm going to read this and <clears throat> then I'm going to send you off with, uh, with this great benediction. Let's pray. Lord God, whose Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, triumphed over the powers of death and prepared for us our place in the new Jerusalem, Grant that I, who have this day given thanks for his resurrection, may praise you in the city of which he is the light and where he lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. With us, as we sing one last song.